Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, February 7th, and we're talking about Spotify striking another deal and some disclosures from big tech. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's Evan New. Evan, what's up? Not too much. We're just kind of celebrating my household because my wife just got a new job, and she's getting a, a pretty massive 50% raise from, from the new opportunity. So we're, we're pretty happy about that. <laughs> Congratulations, Evan. That's awesome. Uh, I unfortunately have money kind of going in the other direction because I think I'm buying a house. And so <laughs> in the process of uh, trying to finalize some numbers there and... Uh, I'm I'm getting used to the pinch now. I'm starting to feel it a little bit. Oh yeah, especially when start things start to break. That's that's all on you. <laughs> I get horror stories from our producer Austin Morgan all the time. I know exactly what that life looks like. Uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, and I'm I'm buying a place that needs a considerable amount of work in Washington D.C. So I'm going to be dealing with a lot of contractors, listeners. If you know any really good contractors in Washington D.C., let me know because I certainly will need one. Um, but you know what? I'll be listening to some music and doing some of the home repairs myself, Evan, and I'll be listening on Spotify. We're talking about Spotify today. That seems like a nice, easy transition right there. Um, we have a quarterly update from them with their earnings, but we also have like a major news item from this company. Um, you're a shareholder and someone who writes about them all the time. Wanted to have you on to talk about what we saw this quarter. Yeah, so they reported fourth quarter earnings this week, and we saw total revenue increasing 24% to a little over $2 billion, uh, $2 billion when translated from euros, since they report in euros. Uh, it was actually a little bit below the street's expectation. Uh, as is always the case, the premium subscriber segment is really the bulk of this business, which was almost 90% of revenue during the quarter. They added a record 11 million premium subscribers during the quarter, which is the most they've ever added in a quarter in their history, which is pretty a pretty big testament, uh, particularly when we start to talk about this podcasting stuff here in a little bit. So right now they total, have a total of 124 million premium subscribers, and what they're also noticing that user growth is accelerating uh, across a lot of important markets, which is you know pretty impressive when you consider the fact that they're already the largest paid um, <coughs> music streaming company in the world. So like they have the largest paid subscriber base. And they're already they're still seeing growth accelerate again, which is you know pretty impressive. And on the ad supported side, monthly active users increased to about 153 million. So there's now a total of 271 million users on this platform. We talk about it all the time. The bigger the denominator gets for a business, the harder it is to find that growth. If you see a business that already has a fairly mature market and they're able to find that reacceleration, that's obviously a good sign and something that investors want to see. Um, now, listeners may remember we've talked about Spotify and some of their podcast acquisitions in the past. They made a huge commitment to podcasts, purchasing Gimlet Media. Anchor and Parcast back in 2019, and all told, that was about a $400 million spend for them. We got news this week that they are going even further into podcasts, and this is where we're getting some of this user growth from. All right, so they announced that they're acquiring The Ringer, which is a media company started by Bill Simmons, I think, in 2016, um, mostly focusing on sports content, but there's also some kind of broader entertainment and pop culture stuff. Uh, but the, the real thing that they're after here is the sports content, particularly their sports podcast. 
Yeah, and I think they have like 30 podcasts or something crazy like that. Their lineup is huge. They cover a ton of different stuff. Um, and, and from what I've read, it seems like The Ringer is profitable. You know, this is a small enough acquisition that we don't get really a ton of details on what's going on. Um, hopefully, as time goes on, we'll get some more details. But um, Bill Simmons said back in 2019, this is a profitable business. Um, I think the natural question that a lot of people have is, this was probably a fairly decently sized acquisition. They're, they spent $400 million in 2019. What's the plan with podcasts? Right. So, they, they did not disclose how much they paid for the ringer. Um, so, it's a little bit hard to say how big of an acquisition this was. But yeah, they definitely bet huge last year. But yeah, I think the whole strategy is, you know, to the extent that they can really expand into podcasts, particularly with when it comes to exclusive content. Um, I mean, there's a lot of parallels you can make to Netflix, but there's also, you know, that there's also some limits to that comparison. But I mean, one thing that is true for both Netflix and Spotify is that when you you're buying this original content, it's essentially a fixed cost. Then you can really scale that out to your your user base in a really efficient way, and you get some leverage there on the cost side uh, compared to the core music streaming side, where you know those royalties are all variable based on how much people listen. Uh, which is one of the challenges that we've talked about before at length about why Spotify does have some trouble scaling, and which is also you know the flip side of why podcasting is so promising. Yeah, we haven't seen anybody really crack the nut on making music exclusive to a platform. You know, we talk about all these different companies that are playing in streaming music. Sometimes you'd have a major platform go out there and get the exclusive rights to an album for like two weeks before all the other platforms got it. But by and large, if you can get something on Apple Music, you can probably get it on Spotify and vice versa. This is one of the few opportunities for someone in the streaming space to be able to offer something that is Netflix-like or HBO-like or Disney Plus-like, where you have to go there to get it right because musical artists they want their content everywhere you know because that, that's how they make their money and it's not like there's not really a, a market for exclusive music because it's not like companies are going to hire the musical artists in-house <laughs> yeah and, it, and what isn't clear to me is with this acquisition you know there, there are a lot of very popular shows from the ringer um do those stay publicly available on all podcast platforms or is this something that eventually gets phased behind a paywall where you have to be a Spotify premium member in order to access it? Um, you know, that will maybe hurt the popularity of some of the podcasts. It might limit the listenership, but also it could be a major draw for them in bringing in premium members. Right. So they, they haven't given too much detail on some of the kind of detailed logistics and how this integration is going to work. And as you mentioned, you know, they have a lot of other content, like written text articles, they have videos on the website. Those things don't really play into Spotio's audio platform strategy at all, so it's a little unclear how that's going to play out. Uh, if I was a writer at The Ringer, I'd be a little worried about job security, personally, right now. Um, and you know, on the call, he did, so he, he didn't really answer those questions, Daniel Eck, the CEO. But he did kind of make a, a grandiose analogy that he thinks the ringer will be the next ESPN. But I'm pretty sure that Disney's ESPN Plus streaming service is going to be the next ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the safer bet. In, you know, It's already <laughs> ESPN. Uh, it can continue to be ESPN. This also fits into the big, big picture plans for Spotify because, um, listeners, you may remember, we talked about how at CES they announced their streaming ad insertion, and this is the technology that will allow them to dynamically insert ads. And it's pretty clear when you look at all these different acquisitions, the focus on podcasts, the focus on exclusivity, they're getting beyond the content and they're looking a lot more at how that content is monetized. And if they can do a really good job with that, you go beyond just kind of the core economics of providing podcasts, you also get into some of the ad business economics, which are even better. 
Right, and I mean, it is worth noting that since they only really kind of made this big expansion with these splash acquisitions last year, it's still very much early days for podcasting for Spotify, but the early data is looking promising. So they've been upfront and cautioning investors, you know, hey, it's early, this data is pretty preliminary, but they have shared, you know, some meaningful data points that they have so far. So for example, podcast hours streamed last quarter nearly tripled. Podcasts are helping driving really strong conversions from free users to premium subscribers while also reducing churn, strengthening retention. I mean, podcasts and music are just so complimentary that there's it's creating this really virtuous cycle of engagement because they said that podcast listeners are listening to more music and vice versa. So again, it's early it's early on, but it's so promising that management is you know, committed to investing heavily in product improvements as well as podcasts throughout 2020. A lot of those things you just talked about, Evan, were kind of more usage uh, data points. Are there any things to suggest that this is actually having an impact on the company's profitability? So, if you exclude some one-time items from a year ago, gross margin was essentially flat at just a little bit over 25%. Uh, that was at the high end of guidance, which Spotify attributed to improvements in non-royalty components, things like payment fees and infrastructure delivery costs and some of the other things that they, they pay for as part of their cost of sales. So, podcasts still, I think, represent an opportunity, opportunity to incrementally reduce their royalty costs in the long term to the extent that some of that engagement shifts away from music towards podcasts. Of course, all engagement's good, but you know, as far as profitability goes, you know, it's better for Spotify if people are listening more to podcasts compared to music. But you know, all that being said, it's probably still going to take a while until we see any meaningful improvements to the cost structure. But I, th- I think they'll get there. All right, we are going to switch gears and talk about some reporting changes in big tech, which we're really excited about. Before we get over that discussion, though, just a quick reminder, listeners: if you are looking for more stock ideas, recommendations, coverage on companies, you can go check out our Stock Advisor service. You get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every single month. Best Buys Now, and a whole lot more. Just go over to if.fool.com. We've got a 50% off discount for our listeners over at if.fool.com. Got to drop the company plug in there every now and then, Evan. Just let people know. You know that's what that's what we really do. We we have fun with our podcast as well. But you know we're a company that talks stocks more often than not. Um, we are talking in the second half of the show about Alphabet in particular. We got some fourth quarter results from them this week. The short answer on the report was market didn't necessarily love it. It was like one of the few stocks that I own that was actually down during <laughs> a couple of days this week. Um, we're not going to spend too much time talking about the financials. What I really want to focus on is a major change that Google Parent Alphabet is making with its reporting structure. I think this is something that a lot of people have wanted for a long time. Yeah, so for the first time ever, they are officially disclosing revenue for both YouTube and Google Cloud, essentially breaking it out into you know, search ads, the core business. Uh, YouTube, Google Cloud, and kind of these other components, giving investors a lot more uh, granular detail about where all this money is coming from. And investors, and more importantly, the SEC, has have been pressuring Alphabet to share these numbers for years. So this is a major win for investors in terms of transparency to finally get uh, you know really hard details into how this business is split up, how each segment is growing. Uh, so YouTube ad revenue in 2019 was just over 15 billion, which is up 35 percent from 2018, and now represents almost 10 percent of Google revenue. And Google Cloud revenue was almost nine billion, which is up over 50 percent. So th- those businesses are, are you know, putting up some nice growth. It seems like this is kind of a slow and steady march for Alphabet. You know, we got them into 
the large uh, umbrella holding structure a couple years ago, and we got some insight into what was going on with the internet properties versus the other bets, and a little bit of transparency there. Now we're getting a better sense of what's going on with some of the internet properties and those operations. We just want to know as much as we can about the businesses that we're trying to follow here, particularly as they get bigger and bigger. You know, when you're in the two-digit billions, that's that's something that is pretty material to the business. Some people might argue otherwise, but I would say if something represents 15% of the total revenue for a segment, it's probably worth breaking out when it's the size of Google. Right. So Google and Google Cloud and YouTube combined are now about 15% of this business. So yeah, that's that's pretty meaningful. That's I think you know you should start sharing with investors. <laughs> <laughs> now now why are we getting these disclosures now? So it is absolutely because Alphabet promoted Sundar Pichai to CEO of Alphabet. So you might, you know, listeners might remember that he was named Google CEO back in 2015 as part of the Alphabet restructuring that you just mentioned. He was promoted to Alphabet CEO in December. <clears throat> so, and I was reading this article. I'm not going to take credit for it, but Market Watch made a really good call a little while ago and pointed out that there, as part of changing revenue recognition rules that were implemented a couple of years ago, the SEC essentially required companies to provide financial information to investors in a similar way that is presented to the chief decision maker, which is to say the CEO. Alphabet's response, and this is going to sound kind of silly because it is, was that then-CEO Larry Page himself didn't even see YouTube results. So like they're like, oh, well, if Larry Page doesn't see it, then investors don't need it, which is kind of a really silly rationale because... Larry Page has long been criticized as something of an absentee CEO. Like he doesn't, you know, make public appearances. He doesn't. I mean, part of that's health related, but he doesn't participate in conference calls. You know, he's just not around, and <laughs> it's kind of like a silly re- reason to withhold this information. Now, in contrast, Pichai had worked his way up as a Google executive over all these years, and he obviously knew all these numbers. So when they named him CEO, it kind of threw that reasoning out the door. So I think that's a big part of why we're seeing this this reporting change. Yeah, I think it's a little bit laughable to look at something that's a multi-billion dollar business and not think that it's something investors should know. I think, for the most part, if a business is that size, we want to know. We want to be able to dissect it and see how it stacks up to the competition. And I understand that there are different reasons why a company may or may not disclose something. You know, in the case of Apple and services, you know, this is something they're touting because they want to create a growth story for their business beyond just their iPhone segment, similar to what we saw with Amazon and AWS a couple years ago, where, you know, we think of Amazon as this e-commerce platform, and then, oh yeah, we have this wildly profitable cloud segment as well. They decided to disclose that. Some businesses will look and say, you know, we don't want people to be able to stack up the size of our business to competitors. We want them to have to approximate based on third-party revenue. Um, I have to say, after years and years and years of getting AWS breakouts, it's nice to be able to know the size of Google Cloud. Right, and and I think you're right. You know, a lot of it is competitive reasons. You know, when they disclose things to public investors, they're also disclosing things to all their competitors. You know, and for example, in the case of Apple, it's the same reason they've never disclosed things like Apple Watch numbers or details around wearables in kind of a hard, concrete way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a nice change of pace. I mean, the whole like Larry Page doesn't even know this stuff is kind of a stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's laughable, right? It's totally laughable. <laughs> Our CEO has no idea how big this huge business is. <laughs> Especially when it's a major growth driver and something that is only being used more and more. You know, it, YouTube is just so public facing and such a large part of how people consume content and interact with Google, period, that I, th- I think you just have to talk about it at some point. I'm glad they're finally doing it. Right. I mean, uh, 
it is nice that they're giving us revenue, but one thing they're not giving us is cloud operating expenses. So, for example, uh, when Amazon first started breaking out AWS revenue back in 2015, it also provided information around expenses, so you can get kind of a, a sense of operating income and operating profitability. Uh, in fact, kind of interestingly, we, you know, we were just talking about AWS on earnings last week, but they're AWS is actually about to get even more profitable since they are making an accounting change where they're extending the useful life of their servers from three years to four years. And what that does is that reduces the depreciation expense that they recognize. So, in effect, it's going to improve operating margins even more. So, we don't know how that looks like for Google Cloud because they're not giving us the cost data. Um, but we do know that they're investing very heavily in the cloud business because they're trying to catch up with AWS and Microsoft Azure as well. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they're operating margins are a bit lower. Yeah, you know, thinking about it and the rationale for why they may or may not be disclosing this, in the case of Amazon, by disclosing their operating margins for AWS, they were able to point to what is a very high margin business compared to its e-commerce segment, especially its international segment, which is losing money. In the case of Google, they actually might have a higher margin business with its ads business, and they might be um, having their margins come down because of stuff that they're doing in the cloud. It's hard to say. Right, and to your point earlier about you know how companies use reporting to kind of shape the narratives, like when it comes to Apple, the same thing with Amazon. You know, as soon as they started breaking this out, everyone was like, "Whoa, AWS is so profitable," and it really you know kind of changed the narrative of like, "Oh, Amazon's e-commerce is single-digit, low-margins stuff," but it really kind of changed the investor perception once they saw how profitable that that segment was. If anyone is talking about the big hitters in cloud computing, they are talking about Amazon's AWS, Google Cloud, and they are talking about Microsoft Azure. We know two of those three. We still don't have any information on Microsoft Azure. Right. So Microsoft discloses intelligent cloud revenue, which was almost $12 billion last quarter. Uh, that includes Azure, but it also includes a bunch of other stuff. So they're still guilty of kind of obfuscating some of this information that investors are calling for. Um, they disclose Azure re- revenue growth, but not the dollar amount. So it that disclosure kind of falls flat because you have no context to what base they're coming off of. And they've never really given a good justification for why they don't, they don't share this information. Of course, like we just talked about, some of this just competitive sensitivity, things like that. But it's worth noting that they cannot use Alphabet's reasoning because CEO Satya Nadella was previously the executive that was in charge of running Azure and the cloud business before he was named CEO. So he clearly knows what's going on there, but they're still just not breaking it out. Hard to say if or when they will, uh, but I think that with Google making this change, it definitely adds some pressure to them to do so. Um, so, Especially since Microsoft has been so focused on cloud computing and cloud services under Nadella. So hopefully it will be soon, but hard hard to say. I would think so. I mean, it is becoming a large part of the narrative. You know, you look at the year-over-year gains, they're posting really impressive growth in the cloud infrastructure market, and they're becoming a very relevant player there. Uh, I think the estimates I saw was that they were in second place um, and posting something like 60% year-over-year growth. And so, there's there's some pretty gaudy growth going on there. I have to imagine that they want that to become part of the story for the stock at some point. Yeah, exactly. Like, and they are the number two player behind Amazon, and Google's number three. And I mean, you have these these like high profile wins, like the government Jedi contract or the you know the Defense Department thing that they're fighting over now. And I mean, yeah, they're they're a huge player, so they they really should start to share this more this more with uh, investors. Maybe that'll happen in 2020. Maybe we'll finally get our wish by the end of the year, Evan. Um, All right, we're going to wrap our stock conversation there. Regular listeners know that if anyone leaves us a five-star review on iTunes, I read it on the show, and I'll answer any questions or points they might make. Got two new ones over the past week. 
One from Hey Bulldog. Hey Bulldog left us a five-star review and said, this is one of my favorite all-time podcasts. It gives me a variety of industries to focus on for my investing strategies. Industries to focus on, industry focus. I see what Hey Bulldog did there. Uh, but I do miss the weekly podcast on healthcare. It's such an important part of the economy that Wildcard Wednesday leaves me wanting. Other than that, I love it. And uh, I hope that Hey Bulldog caught this Wildcard Wednesday where Jason Moser and Shannon Jones were talking earnings and uh, coronavirus, talking about some uh, healthcare businesses over there. We hear you on that, and we're trying to work healthcare regularly into the routine uh, for Wildcard Wednesday. Uh, I've, I've given this explanation once or twice, but really, we're just trying to make sure that we're putting people in a position where they can cover stuff that they're comfortable talking about and give listeners great information. And so, we're going to alter our uh, our lineup and our schedule accordingly. Uh, if we have someone emerge as a really awesome healthcare host who has the time, um, we're going to be you know looking to do that in the future. But we hear you, and we've been really, really amazed with the uh, the outcry of people wanting more healthcare content. Uh, clearly, Shannon Jones's presence has been missed on the show. I certainly miss hanging out with her. She's done, she's doing all this work on a different floor now, so I don't get to see her too much. Um, we also had Scott write into the show. Love the podcast. Couple things to make it easier to listen to. One, the moderator speaks much louder than the guests. That I have to keep adjusting the volume. And two, the up talking is grating, makes it a little difficult to take people seriously. Before you say it's not me, ask a friend. Thanks for a great and relevant show. And I will say I am definitely guilty of that. Um, Scott, fair criticism there. I think this is one thing where, because we do some remote taping, you know, Evan and I are not in the same room, there are times where I'll intentionally raise my voice a little bit just to give him a sense that I'm putting the question over to him. Um, we're trying to signal to each other a little bit that, hey, it's your turn to talk because we can't really pick up on each other's nonverbal cues. Evan, does that help you out? Uh, yeah. And I just did it right there. Um, But, you know, this is a little bit of, you know, the behind the glass kind of experience for what's going on. So I will take those those uh, pieces of feedback into consideration. Always trying to be better. Always trying to improve. Fair point there, Scott. Thanks for leaving your review. And thanks for writing into the show. Um, And listeners, of course, if you want to leave us a review, we'd be happy to have one. And if you want to write into the show, industryfocus at fool.com is where you can get us or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. Evan, I think we're going to put this one to bed. Thanks for hopping on today's show. Thanks for having me. All right. And uh, if you want any more of our stuff, I got I got caught up in the midway through the wrap and then said goodbye to Evan. You can go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and catch us there. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. It's Friday, so we're going to play things out with checks and balances from full-time Fool, Burke, and Grafia. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. I've got a million dollars It's hypothetical Large amount in my bank account It's parenthetical The money I'm made of is theoretical So in theory I've got it good My fat wallet is on a diet My balance sheet is lopsided My income statement is keeping silent But let's keep one thing understood I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love My cold hard cash Is soft and tropical My deep pockets Are merely topical I hit the big time, it was microscopical But don't you get it, I am no fool I own a bank, 
I call him Piggy, brought home the bacon, he got a little wiggy, cracked him open, what a pity, his inner life was pitiful, I need checks, I need balances, life's a mess, with financial challenges, checks and balances, when things get tough, do you do it for money, or do you do it for love? I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I'm cashing in on Triple coupon, soup kitchen's calling Saying the soup's on I sing for my supper and get my groove on I still know how to have fun I need checks, I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money or do you do it for love? Always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser Is the miser Always lives in misery I own a bank I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon He got a little wiggy Cracked him open What a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love?